AgriTalk is brought to you by Full Scale from Helena. Grow Strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from Full Scale at Reproduction. And by Propane. Propane is the energy for everyone, especially farmers. Environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm. See how at propane.com. Congress continues to find a or attempt to find a solution to the appropriations bills and to find a way to keep the government funded. Well, we'll get the latest on that. And it's Wednesday and time to check in on the topics and issues that farmers are thinking about, the challenges they face and the opportunities they see coming in the year ahead. Live out from under the frozen thumb via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. This morning we'll begin with a conversation with Brian Grady from Pro Farmer. Then it's our Farmer Forum with panelists Jason Probst and Kevin Ross. And directly following the news, Margie Echelkamp from The Scoop. I'm handsome newsman Davis Michelson. And now, welcome the host of AgriTalk, Chip Flory. All right, Davis. Hey, yeah. thank you so much. Yeah, man. Yeah, here we are, back again, and uh, it's already the middle of the week. Can you believe it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Some of us have already been slaving away for like a whole day this really? week. Bro. Really? Bro. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely yeah. seems like the middle of the week to me, like, oh. <laughs> Hi, guys. You know, I just did work yesterday, and now here yeah, we are I again. Yep. Glad that I am back here <sighs> in too. the office, in the studio, and ready to go. Going to have a conversation, get caught up on some of the issues that that have been building. We'll have a conversation with ProFarmer editor uh, Brian Grady. Mm-hmm. I will tell you this. Uh, Brian, Brian was nice enough to come on the show on rather short notice. Mm-hmm. And the short notice is because uh, our, our scheduled guest was uh, Senator Chuck Grassley from Iowa. And Senator Grassley has has had to check into a hospital there in the D.C. area uh, and is uh, receiving some some antibiotic treatments for for an infection. So our our best wishes uh, for a speedy recovery go out to Senator Grassley. Hopefully we can get him back on the show here very soon. Very creeping cruds out there, bro. It's out there right now in full force. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And then we got the the uh, uh, farmer forum coming your way, Kevin Ross. We haven't talked to Kevin forever. It's been a while, so far too looking, long. Yep. Yeah, looking forward to getting caught up with Kevin and Jason Probst from Illinois. Uh, obviously, looking forward to the conversation there. We'll dig a little bit into Prop Twelve and and see if if uh, if that is having any impact on how Jason is conducting business on his hog operation. Cool. All right, buddy. Cool. Yeah. Let's get to the news. What do you got? Right on. Well, let's start with the National Weather Service outlook here. Heavy mountain snows for the northwest and the Rockies. Ice storms for portions of the Pacific Northwest. Bands of heavy lake effect snow continue for the Great Lakes. Hello, South Bend. (laughs) A return to more typical winter temperatures for many Wednesday uh, after the brutal cold. Another Arctic blast is expected late this week. So we got a little reprieve for a day or two here. Another little blast, and then at least here in the KC area, we're looking to warm up again next week. Next week is looking pretty doggone good. This good. weekend looks pretty doggone chilly. There's yeah. no question about that. <laughs> uh, but, boy, I tell you, the um, 
the the quick break is welcome. Yes. And uh, all the way up to 17 degrees today, 13 degrees tomorrow, but back yeah, in the baby. deep freeze on Friday, Saturday, and into Sunday. Uh, next week, like you said, is looking good. We've even got rain in the forecast, dude. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to clear out all that snow all at one time. I, yep. I hope yeah. so. Equity shares slumped across Asia after Chinese data revived concerns about China's economy. The Hang Seng headed for its worst loss since October 2022. The Hong Kong market has lost more than 10% since the beginning of the year. Meanwhile, the Bank of Japan is expected to hold its negative interest rate next week in the wake of the New Year's Day's earthquake. European equities were lower as markets continued to second-guess previous bets on rate cuts by the European Central Bank and other key central banks. Chip Brent crude futures dropped below 78 bucks per barrel on Wednesday on U.S. dollar strength, and as traders reduced their expectations of a rate cut by the Federal Reserve in March, Fed Governor Christopher Waller suggested that the central bank might not cut interest rates as aggressively as the market had anticipated. Right, right. good, good. We need to get that, that thought process out there. I, I believe because uh, I, I think it is going to be a, a slow path to lower interest rates. Well, Jeff, Senate leadership is reportedly moving to establish two new funding deadlines on March 1st and March 8th with the goal of avoiding a partial government shutdown and giving appropriators still more time to write fiscal year 2024 funding bills that adhere to the top line agreement reached by Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and House Speaker Mike Johnson. Despite weather-related issues in the nation's capital, the schedule remains on track. Schedule remains no on track. I'm, I'm using that term loosely, Chip. Thank on you. On track. Thank you. Um, it This whole process is off track, and and uh, we need to we need to get it back on the rails and moving forward. There's the frustration over this is off the charts. Well, Tip, the Biden administration is set to announce today the redesignation of Iranian-backed Houthi rebels in Yemen as specifically designated global terrorists. This decision comes in the wake of multiple attacks by the Houthis on commercial vessels in the Red Sea. The group has claimed these attacks as a response to Israel's military actions in Gaza. And Chip, taking those Houthi rebels off of that designated global terror list was one of the Biden administration's first yeah. foreign policy moves. Now we've got them back on the terror list. Yeah. <laughs> We, we we probably never should have come off. I that's a decision way 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 above my pay grade though. Mm -hmm. uh, but here they are causing all kinds of problems for us in the shipping industry, out uh, in the Red Sea. So yes, sir. Yeah. Yep. All kinds of issues. Okay. Thank you, Davis. Appreciate it. Let's bring yep. in Margie Echelkamp, editor of the Scoop. How are you, Margie? Hey, Chip. Doing well this morning. All right. Tell me about MKC, the Ag Retailer of the Year. Yes, this is one of my favorite stories to report on every year, and it's the Agricultural Retailers Association Retailer of the Year. As their official publication, we get to do a pretty in-depth article of the best of the best that year. And this year, the award went to MKC, formerly known as Mid-Kansas Co-op. Now, they do serve about a 11,000 member owners in Kansas and the surrounding states. And really their business inspired me to look up the quote that I thought I could remember, but it's from Theodore <laughs> Roosevelt. And he said, keep your eyes on the stars, but your feet on the ground. And I think that resonates so well for ag retailers as they work toward continuous improvement, but are directly tied to the field. 
Now, specifically for MKC, they have the motto of shared growth, shared success. And really, where does that where does that springboard come from? How do they reach for that, but keep their feet on the ground? And they really have four keys to their business, and that's safety, courtesy, image, and innovation. And they have metrics to tie back to the growth in each of those four areas. Now, I did a deep dive into their business, how they're partnering with farmers, how they're also encouraging their staff and employees to be advocates for agriculture, being involved in more than 20 state and national associations. And that's all available on thedailyscoop.com. All right. Excellent. Yeah. This, uh, it's almost like a, a focus group or a, you know, a case study. When you take a look at everything that they've got going in that Kansas region, it's really a phenomenal business. Marty's yep. Quite a, inspirational, Chip. Thank absolutely. you so much. You bet. That is Margie Uckelkamp, editor of The Scoop. Okay. Coming up next, we're going to have a conversation with Brian Grady. Brian is the editor of Pro Farmer. We're going to stay away from the markets for the most part in this conversation. We'll talk to him about what's going on today at the bottom of the hour as well. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. chickens have come home to roost find out whose fence they're perched on today on agritalk welcome back to agritalk i'm chip Florent. glad that you are with us on this wednesday morning uh, let's have this conversation here with brian grady editor of pro farmer beach it's good to talk with you again buddy how are you doing oh i'm fine chip how about yourself doing just fine just fine um we haven't had much of an opportunity to talk since we got the reports from USDA on Friday. And when I say the reports, I mean the quarterly grain stocks report, the winter wheat seedings report, the annual production summary, and the global or world supply and demand estimates. Uh, it's it's uh, it's quite a load of data that, that USDA dumped on the market all at once. Have the markets accounted for everything in the reports or or are they still working on that well i i think most of it has been accounted for uh let's be honest uh, there were some shock factors in there and, yeah. and the one that like the kind of everybody lost their mind over was uh the corn yield the record corn yep. yield um and I'll, I'll be honest with you i i just don't quite understand the the amount of attention that that received to be honest with you because uh, corn yields corn yield it's a that's a singular number um 
You know, if USDA hadn't cut its uh, harvested acreage number by almost 600,000 acres, um, then it would be a much bigger deal. But uh, right. as it turned out, the, the record corn yield turned into basically a rounding error uh, in terms of total production of just 108 million bushels. So, right. and, and we offset that. Uh, we offset 75 million bushels of that with uh, increased use. Um, right. So, I mean, it's, you know, we're talking minimal here. And uh, so that that just garnered way too much attention, to be honest with you. I, I, yeah. I, whether it was a record yield or wasn't a record yield doesn't really matter. It's a production that matters. That's what you right. have to get. Well, and it's a record crop. It's a record yeah. crop. You've, even though they cut those acres out of the harvested acreage tally, uh, it's still a huge uh, harvested acreage number. And, and absolutely, when you, when you throw that one seventy-seven point three for a national average corn yield on top of it, you get a record production number. The on the usage that you mentioned, we got fifty million more going to corn for ethanol. I thought that was that that was uh, at least showing us the trend on corn for biofuel use in the year ahead. Yeah, I've been encouraged by uh, ethanol use here, and uh, you know, uh, feed and residual use went up twenty five million bushels. So we we still think the USDA is conservative with its estimate right now or uh, projection right now. And uh, so that that number has a uh, uh, some room to move to the upside, and then exports. Uh, they left the exports unchanged, and and that's really the the number that the market pays the most attention to. But we are just now getting into the time frame when it's the key export season for U.S. corn. Uh, you know, soybeans dominate the first quarter quarter and. and an extra month or so of the marketing year. And after that, it, it shifts to corn. And, and so from now until May 1, we basically need to make hay on, on the corn yeah. export side of things. And that's what will tell the market, are we cheap enough? Are we low enough in price? And is there a, a response around the globe uh, by foreign end users? Right, right. Okay. Yeah, I think you're right. I, th I think the national average corn yield caught everybody's attention, number one. Um. Number two, the winter wheat seedings total uh, on on seeded acres, Beej. I don't know if that's gotten enough attention yet. Yeah, and that was actually one of the uh, the only uh, sets of bullish uh, numbers in in yeah. the uh, report data. And uh, oftentimes the wheat gets overlooked anyway. Uh, yep. Corn, and, let's be honest, corn and soybeans uh, grab the bulk of the attention any month uh, in USDA's reports. Uh, but January in particular, because there's just so much data that that's dumped at once, and and uh, you know it came ahead of a, a extended holiday weekend and and everything else. And and I think that the the winter wheat seedings coming in lower than anticipated uh, just kind of got glazed over, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't just a, a big drop in the SRW acres, the soft red winter. The the cut came in HRW country too. Uh, what are they going to do with those acres? I, is it going to be sorghum feed grain in the year ahead? Yeah, I, I think that, I mean, that would be obviously the number one in, in HRW country would uh, be sorghum. But uh, I, I think as you look across the different regions, uh, some of the, the minor crops, uh, um, we'll probably pick up some acres and you, you have to talk about corn and soybeans. I mean, uh, yeah. now there's more available acres for those two as well. So, uh, we'll have to see cotton will, will come into play obviously in the South. And, and, uh, so, um, there's some uncertainty, I think, uh, moving forward as we go into the uh, spring planting season and, and there always is, 
uh, and the great acreage debate that happens during the winter months and, and those types of things. But uh, uh, I, I think that the, the winter wheat seeding is coming in lower than anticipated. Uh, probably just adds a little bit more to that discussion this winter. Okay. We are coming up on the time that we're going to be setting the spring price for crop insurance policies. We do that. It's the average of December corn futures closes in February and the average of November beans uh, where they close in February. That's coming right up. And South America is going to have a a day-to-day influence on the way that we trade in February, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And and so what we're seeing now is that the, the Brazilian crop estimates continue to decline and, and uh, uh, the bulk of those uh, on soybeans are in the low 150 million ton range. Some are moving into the upper 140 million ton range. Uh, but there are some out there that are really low uh, in the low 140s yeah. and, and as low as 135 million tons. And so from that farmer's uh, group. Yeah, the farmer's group in Brazil. Right. So if that one um, comes to fruition and that's the real number that we end up at. Yeah. Um, that's a game changer because that, that increases export demand for us soybeans and, and not just increases it, but increases it quite a bit. So, um, you know, those, those are well below where USDA's number is currently, um, you know, just converting them into bushels instead of a million tons, it, it would be roughly 514 million bushels to 808 million bushels, uh, on some of those low range, uh, forecasts that are out there for Brazilian soybean production right now. Yeah. What did you make of USDA's Brazilian corn crop estimate? No, much the same as on soybeans. They're just behind. And, and we always know that this shouldn't yeah, be a but surprise. This seems way behind. Yeah, they are. And and that will have a, a potential impact, too, on U.S. corn exports. So uh, that yep. keep in mind, though, um, Brazil is still shipping their record crops from last year. Yeah. Um, yep, so. Yep. That that is covering if if we didn't have that that those extra bushels from last year, both corn and soybeans, uh, it would be a, a much greater market attention factor, in my opinion, right now. What's yeah. going on with their crop size down there? Yeah, yeah. The old saying does did Brazil really have a drought if it didn't turn into more demand for U.S. soybeans? Right, um, right. Yeah, if it if it doesn't, did the drought really matter? And and. Uh, that's probably the right perspective to have as, as we go forward. Um, switch gears, get away from the markets here for just a bit. Give me your latest take on what is happening in D.C. with the spending bills, the continuing resolution, kicking the can further down the road. What <laughs> What do you make? Well, of do you want my real opinion or do you yeah. want my yeah. – uh, okay. Yeah, it just it's Washington. I mean, it's uh, just more of the same, you know, dysfunction, and and that's really the the what's going on. I mean, we just can't get out of our own way uh, in Washington right now, and and too much, uh, you know, party versus party, bipartisanship, or uh, um, just or partisanship, I guess. Yeah. Uh, you know, just they need to find a way to work together, and and we're so far from that right now, um, but. Short term, uh, they're trying to get a continuing resolution done to extend uh, from the the current uh, deadlines, which are coming up uh, the first one at the end of this week, uh, to the beginning of of March. And and so USDA would be included in the ones uh, that have a January 19th deadline. And and so uh, for agriculture, there is some uh, real concern there about a partial government shutdown. Yeah. 
they're going to find a solution and keep the government open, aren't they? Yeah, because that's what they do. They just kick the can down the road yep. and they don't really yep. get anything yep. done. And and uh, so that's really the nuts and bolts of, of what's going on in Washington right now. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay, less than a minute. I'm not going to make this hard on you, okay? <laughs> anything from the caucus night in Iowa surprise you? No, nothing at all. Absolutely zero surprised me out of all that. Yeah. Yeah, it uh, uh, was an overwhelming victory for uh, former President Trump and and uh, kind of launches him into New Hampshire and and the what is it? I think it's March 5th is Super yeah, Tuesday. You, yeah, you, you know, you can take all the rest of them and add them together and they're not even to the level that he is. So, yeah. I mean, it's like him, hate him, whatever the case may be. Um, this is uh, Trump's race to lose, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Brian, I appreciate the shot of realism. Stick around. We got to find out exactly what is going on in the markets here today. I'll need you for that here in just a minute. Uh, Coming up next, we've got the Farmer Forum, and we've got Kevin Ross from Western Iowa, Jason Probst from Southern Illinois. A couple of things happening there. Uh, What's going on with the biofuels? And... Is Jason preparing for Prop 12? We'll discuss that next. Time for Markets Now with the experts from Pro Farmer. Brian Grady is back with us, uh, editor at Pro Farmer. Beach, we've got corn and soybeans going in opposite directions here this morning. What's happening? Yeah, so um, corrective buying in both corn and the wheat markets, and, and okay. uh, you know, that's needed. Uh, they've been beaten down here, and, and so just nothing more than, than corrective trade, two to four cents higher in, in corn, and uh, uh, the wheat market being led by SRW contracts. They're posting double-digit gains in the front end of that market, uh, but uh, just, just corrective. And then soybeans, uh, they're under... Uh, Pretty uh, solid pressure here. Double-digit losses in the yeah. uh, the March and May contracts. So um, seeing heavier selling there. The meal market, uh, you know, it, it tried to work to the upside yesterday and and uh, has erased all that today. All right, yeah, crudo, uh, crudo, soybean oil is trading slightly higher, but uh, outside of that, there's not a lot of uh, good news coming out of the soy complex. Should also mention that corn made new contract low before. It turned around and started to move to the upside. Uh, take us over to the livestock trade. Pretty quiet in the cattle market, Chip. Uh, you know, we're waiting, waiting on cash cattle trade to develop, uh, waiting on the cattle on feed report Friday afternoon. And, and because of that, uh, we probably won't see real active cash trade until late in, in the week. And, and so um, just kind of really quiet and, and uh, trading to the downside, but uh, just minor. Uh, losses at the moment. Same with the feeder cattle. And then hog futures, uh, you know, we're seeing the futures narrow up their uh, premiums to the cash index, but the cash index is rising. I think it's like five of the past uh, six days now that that cash index has been up. And so it's looking more and more like a seasonal low is already in place there. Thanks, Brian. That is Pro Farmer Editor Brian Grady on Markets Now. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. 
The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. We've cleared the schedule for you. Give us a call at 855-482-5524 and join the conversation. Yeah, this kind of represents the times that we're in right now, doesn't it? A little bit, yeah. A little bit. A little bit. There's a lot of people out there that might say, you know, that's a very good representation of what's happening in the Republican Party right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, with the, the – can I – I don't I, – it's not a split caucus. It just felt like mm-hmm. it was a split caucus. It feels like it's a split primary going into New Hampshire and going into South Carolina. It's just one of the weirdest seasons that – no, it's the weirdest season I can recall. Right? Mm-hmm. Agreed. I, I, yeah. I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely nuts. Absolutely nuts. Yep. And weather, too. Uh, we, we've been on quite the roller coaster with that. Let's get this farmer forum started. Kevin Ross from Western Iowa joins us right now. Kevin, it has been too long. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing good, Chip. How about yourself? Doing just fine. How are you handling the weather out your way in Western Iowa? I tell you what, it's been uh, it's been a slog here over the last few days with uh, just taking care of cattle and and uh, just trying to stay ahead of uh, gelled up tractors and everything else. But uh, I don't I don't I don't remember a time uh, in my lifetime anyway where we were this uh, this long below zero and uh, it was getting a little old. So I'm glad to see sun shining again today and and uh, we've had uh, had had positive temperatures here all day long. So that's that's a good thing. Yeah, eight degrees up in northeast Iowa, so it is a good thing. We're going to stay below zero, at, you know, this week, or excuse me, below freezing uh, this week, and then we got another cold shot coming this weekend. Then things look good temperature wise into next week. But did you see the rain in the forecast for next week too, Kevin? Those cattle are—it's not going to get any easier on the cattle if that happens. Yeah, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it when it comes to rain. I think uh, yeah. it seems like always this time of year when you get this much snow on the ground that those forecasts that tell you rain are a few degrees off because it just can't ever quite uh, quite get that extra degree or two. So I don't know. I'm guessing it'll be more snow than rain, but uh, I'm also not a weatherman, so we'll find out. <laughs> That's right. That's right. All right. Let's bring in Jason Probst from Southern Illinois. Jason, it's great to talk with you again. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Good, good, good. How about the weather yeah. down your way? Everything okay? 
We're we're not as bad as you guys there in Iowa. Uh, didn't get the near as much snow, but uh, definitely got our fair share of cold. Uh, we're kind of yesterday was our first day back above freezing uh, since Friday, and so we've uh, you know maybe a couple inches of snow throughout, but a lot of cold wind, which led to as Kevin talked about, you know, tractors and trucks gelling uh, with high winds, and actually led to some problems with some of our ethanol and soybean process, processing plants down here. So. Oh, explain that a little bit more. What do you got going on at the plants? Well, so we've ran into with that cold weather, especially on some of the uh, plants in central Illinois where there's just really no wind breaks um, over the weekends. Basically, the plants froze up and could not run. So uh, like one of the bean processing plants just finally got uh, thawed out and was able to get back into production this morning. Uh, We'll probably have some bean meal available this afternoon coming out of that. Uh, also had uh, ethanol plant in the same town, uh, froze up as well, the same process, uh, kind of shut them down. Uh, we've had another ethanol plant that uh, could not get their dryers running there on Monday with the uh, cold weather. And so they've been producing strictly wet product out there. And then just wow. with the cold, it was just the, the fermentation processes don't work as well. So plants were running maybe 50 to 60% of capacity they normally oh, would geez. so seeing a little bit some challenges there so yeah that'll slow things down for sure and kevin on the cattle processing side there were some plants that they basically skipped shifts and backed some cattle up didn't they yeah absolutely it's uh you get this cold you know and and just shipping of of animals uh you know going down the road i mean you're trying to keep as many trucks off the road as possible so you know there's a you just don't want want uh, animals or anything else getting stuck out there and, and uh, taking you know a little fewer chances with that and, uh with that kind of cold that it, it just it's not good for anybody right yeah that's the bottom line that that is uh exactly right um kevin there's i i keep getting emails and texts from people outside of iowa that are wondering you know were you surprised by anything in the caucuses that uh, on monday I keep replying, no, I I didn't see anything that really surprised or shocked me. We just talked with Brian Grady. He didn't see anything. What about you? Did you see anything that that gives you a clue about how things might work out later? You know, I I would have to agree with you. I don't think uh, I don't think anybody should be too shocked by by the outcomes of uh, of what you saw here in our state for the caucuses. Um, the one thing that that I think should just should really stick out those is the amount uh, the amount of support that President Trump had. Um, that that number at, at I don't know what it ended up at fifty one percent or something right. like that. I mean that More than that half. in general is just a huge huge number from yeah. from a caucus standpoint. And uh, and so I think you know of, of anything that's uh, you know is it a surprise a little bit. On the other hand. You know, you talk to a lot of folks and there was a, a lot of support, um, you know, out there for, uh, you know, for the former president. And um, so should it be that shocking? Maybe not. Um, on the other hand, you know, you, you when it comes to the uh, second and third uh, place candidates there with uh, Haley and DeSantis, I think, you know, uh, I don't think that was too much of a shock to anybody by where they uh, by where they landed. I talked to several friends of mine and I thought they would be within a couple points of each other at the end of it. Um, and they were, and, um, yeah. uh, you know, just a, just a deep field in general. I think, uh, it's interesting to see how it narrowed, uh, towards the end there to yeah. those top three here in Iowa. 
because you, you know, the way it started out with so many different candidates as, as it usually does. Um, and, and that's part of the job of this process is to just, you know, kind of, uh, uh, pair them the, the amount down and, and wean people out, I guess, if you will. Um, and, you know, and I think the Iowa caucuses did that job once again. And, yep. and, uh, I think we should be proud of the way our state engaged, uh, um, on this, uh, again. And, and you look at, uh, the amount of folks, uh, I think that are out there kind of staggering the amount of dollars that are spent in, in our state for it. But at the same time, uh, I think they're looking for statistically accurate numbers at the end of the deal. And, and, uh, when you look at the amount of voters and, uh, the amount of Republican voters in this primary uh, across the state, you know, um, yeah. uh, and, the, and the amount of people that would vote later on. I think you, you get pretty close to, to the numbers that they would want to see. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Jason, there was one thing that happened at the end of the caucuses that I'll admit did surprise me a little bit. And that was Ramaswamy stepping out of the race. I didn't think he'd want to give up his soapbox nearly as quickly as what he as what he did. Um but then you nope. turn around and you see how he starts working with Trump immediately and he's not losing any soapbox. All he's doing is, is taking a step to the right. Yep. No, that was a little bit surprised to see that happen that, uh, that early in the, in the race where we're at. I figured we'd get further into the uh, primary season before we'd see uh, any more of the main, you know, top four candidates drop out at this point. So, yeah. Uh, definitely, we're in a, a three-person race. It looks like to me as we move forward, and and probably by the time he gets here to Illinois, it'll probably be decided as usual as we get here. So, <laughs> yeah, we're being being so late in, late in the primary season. Right, right. It feels like it's going to happen quick this year, doesn't it, Kevin? I mean the the dis, uh, the, the decision. Yeah, I think you're right. I think. Um... And it's felt that way all along, really. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's part of the factor when you when you saw some of those early candidates dropping out, um, you know, before even the caucuses happened. That I, I think there was more, um, you know, more of that that happened right away. And part of that's a factor of money. So you know, if you're not collecting the money, those those folks just can't afford to stay, you know, to stay on the road and, and in the state doing those things. So, um, you know, again, it, it, did it do the job? I think so. And and. Uh, uh, yeah, I do think you're right, though, Chip. You get to um, a couple more states down the road, and I think this this field's going to be very narrow, if not down to one. Yep. And um, yep. and we'll see how it shakes out. I, I agree with you on Vivek, though, too. That was kind of shocking to see him jump out. But yeah, he didn't he didn't lose the soapbox entirely either. <laughs> <laughs> no, if 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 the soapbox would have been going away, I don't. I think he'd still be in the race. So he had the conversation yep. with the Trump team. The Trump the Trump team said that they would find some way to keep his voice relevant in this whole conversation, and off he went. Not going to spend the money any on it any longer. And uh, yeah, yeah, he's gonna he's gonna stay active. Were you satisfied with how biofuels were treated through the process, Kevin? Yeah, I think so. Um... You know, the, the Iowa Renewable Fuels Association and, you know, and Iowa Corn and Iowa Soybean always do a really good job of uh, evaluating the candidates um, and giving them, you know, getting them their priorities uh, when it comes to biofuels. So I think, um, you know, at the end of the day, when, when these candidates come to our state uh, and the amount of time that, uh, that, that the folks across rural America get to spend with them, it always uh, is a highlight, uh, at least for, you know, 20 plus years now or 30 years now. And, and, um, 
I think it's amazing what uh, what it does for the understanding of these candidates and how important it is to not only our state but all across the Midwest and and really you know the, really to the entirety of the nation when it comes to uh, you know energy security and all the other things that that biofuels represent. So I I always uh, think that's such a huge part of um, you know of our process and and our governor does a great job of highlighting it as well as you know as well as the folks that invite them into the plants and and uh, uh, and out on our own farms. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. We are in the middle of this week's Farmer Forum. Kevin Ross from Western Iowa, Jason Probst from Southern Illinois. Uh, Maybe just a little bit more conversation on biofuels and those CO2 pipelines before we move on to Prop 12. Jason, I want to get your take on how any sign of an influence of Prop 12 on the markets happening yet. We'll talk about that next on AgriHub. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. In the morning, you're coffeeed up and you're thinking. In the afternoon, you've calmed down, but you're still thinking. We're here all day. AgriTalk. And welcome back to AgriTalk and the Farmer Forum. We're in the middle of it right now with Kevin Ross from Western Iowa and Jason Probst from Southern Illinois. When I think about carbon sequestration and i think about the carbon intensity scores on the ethanol plants it it's most often an iowa minnesota south dakota north dakota thought that goes through my head but jason there some of these co2 pipelines are proposed to go through illinois is it as controversial in illinois as it is in iowa it is uh you know the pipelines you talked about coming out iowa they were positioned to come in and basically sequester all the uh, CO2 here in Illinois, and it led to a lot of uproar uh, between everybody, and eventually those uh, petitions got pulled um, by the proposed pipelines, and so right now it doesn't look like there's anything coming at the moment, but that could change again. Uh, There's a lot of people just didn't feel like they wanted to be the dumping ground uh, for that material, and then just the fact of another pipeline coming across the ground that didn't didn't uh, yeah. you know, presume to help them in that respect. So, yeah, yeah, Kevin, what's the what's the status of the proposals in Iowa? Is it something that you think has got a chance to go forward? Should it go forward? What's what's your thoughts? Yeah, I think everything's you know uh, on hold at the moment. Um, uh, you know, should it is a good question, Chip. I mean, I, I guess. Uh, 
there's there's obviously arguments to both sides of the story, but I would tell you that um, at the end of the day, uh, you know, I really like uh, finding useful, uh, you know, useful products, and there's many useful products for CO2 out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, putting it into the ground sometimes is uh, is kind of a backward stop process for for sequestering the carbon. It seems like uh, from time to time. On the other hand. What we're doing with these pipelines, though, is you're also aggregating the product. And I think that, uh, you know, at the end of the day, that's that's really, you know, to me, a, a different part of the opportunity that people have kind of glossed over. And and, uh, and when you do that, when you aggregate product into, you know, uh, a much larger volume in one area, you're more likely to, you know, to end up having, I think, that, you know, production for, uh, you know, a different type of uh, of product at the end. And, and so... Um, you know, I think the the argument that could be made or that people make about safety of the pipelines, really, that's not one that I think holds a whole lot of water. Um, I think the uh, uh, certainly the the uh, you know thoughts about uh, eminent domain and those types of things. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, people get concerned and get uh, uh, get upset when they you know want to be told something um, that they need to do with their land. Uh, and yeah. so I think that uh, you know the approach of of some of these is is uh, uh, been a little bit tough, but you know, at the same time, if we take a step back, we learn from what, uh, you know, what they've done. Um, and you look at the opportunities for, uh, CO2 and, and sequestering the carbon, you know, it's a big opportunity for, you know, for continuing the success of the ethanol industry. And, and that's, uh, something again, vital to our state and, uh, vital to the Midwest. And so you look at, uh, the current opportunities for sustainable aviation fuel and how that works within ethanol or, uh, or biodiesel. Um, you got to lower that CI score. And, uh, this is what, uh, the, the current metric, you know, will tell you, yep. um, how you do it. And so unless you change that measurement and how we, you know, how we measure CI and, and what we're measuring for that stuff, uh, this is the current way to get it done. Okay. All right. Thanks for, Chip, I think, the, you know, Kevin, yeah, Chip, thanks. I was just going to say, thank Kevin's concern about, you know, just sequestering the carbon in the ground and losing opportunities for it. I think that was probably a bigger challenge some of the people here in Illinois that we saw is just, you know, the opportunities that could be used for that product. I know from the pork processing side, CO2 is used in the stunning process animals. And that was a big concern that we had back during the COVID aspects when the plants weren't running, making ethanol, we were running short on CO2 to be able to process pigs in that process. So that was a concern to us. If we start sequestering this instead of having available for different products, you know, what does that do to us long-term in our, efficiencies that we have in our process exactly exactly yep legitimate concerns no doubt gavin it's or uh, uh, jason it's it's all lots of different angles to look at this whole process as there is lots of different angles on prop 12 have you seen any influence of prop 12 on your markets in the short term here, the start of the year, no. Um, I'm not going to say it's because of the backup of pigs that we have right now after the yeah. cold weather. Obviously, this week now, uh, the first two weeks, we're probably now backed up about a million, million point one head of hogs right now. So, you know, none of that is going to is coming into play at this point. Um, you know, we were hearing a little bit prior to the start of the year from uh, a couple analysts out there that hadn't released any data we looked at, but they were seeing the back off of consumption of pork in California as prices were starting to rise and really didn't feel good about where this is going. Um, You know, that standpoint, I know, you know, there's been 
trying to figure out how do you correct it and different things, whether uh, from legal standpoints. Uh, I think, you know, where it's ultimately going to come down to is probably some with a farm bill. I don't see that we can get something yeah. done in a standalone where we're at with getting people uh, rallied behind it. But I think it's got to be something that's got to be added on at that point, And we're kind of at that mercy when the farm bill comes. And, the, yeah. you know, that's going to take some time, but probably through that, that's going to allow people to see the true impact of Prop 12 and its effect on California. So I think, you know, that may actually help uh, push the, that solution across the line yeah. with seeing some yeah. of that uh, pain and suffering that it'll cause. Yeah, the impact on California is just as important as the impact on um, on hog producers in Iowa. Both are going to be measured at some point, and both are going to have an impact and influence on how things are going forward. It just does – NPPC continues to look for a solution or a fix on this, but a stand, like you said, yep. Jason, a standalone does just – it doesn't feel like it's going to happen, does it? No, it just doesn't feel there's enough support and traction at this time. Yeah, that's a big concern, big concern. All right, you guys, great job today talking about some tough issues. Really appreciate the uh, the perspective you shared with us, Kevin and Jason. Appreciate that a lot. Kevin, be good. Stay warm out there. I'll do my best. We'll wait for the next snowstorm. All right, that's Kevin Ross over in western Iowa. Jason, same to you. Stay warm, man. All right, you as well. Take care. All right, that is Jason Probst down in Effingham, Illinois, down in southern Illinois. Thank you so much for listening this morning. you got to come back this afternoon. We're going to have a conversation with Craig Turner from Stone X Group and Turner's Take. And tomorrow morning, Frank Lucas from Oklahoma.